Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today for our midweek sermon recap that we try to do each week as we overview and look at the sermon from this past Sunday. Now, this past Sunday, we were looking at the same question that we were looking at two weeks ago because the sermon was not completed uh, two weeks ago, but asking the question, uh, how are we called to approach worship? Because we've been in a worship series now for a little while. And so, uh, two weeks ago, as we looked at this question, how are we called to approach worship, there was a few things. Uh, with reverence and awe that we see in Hebrews, uh, and so that's an important thing, but then also confidence, gladness, and thanksgiving. And so the the thing that would have to be discussed, and I guess we could talk about it real quick if we wanted to, but just how do you, how do you have reverence and awe in worship, but at the same time come with confidence? Because that seems like two kind of different things. You know, I think about in the movies when you're approaching the king or maybe even with Esther. She she knows she should approach the king and she finally says, I'm going to do this. Tells the other Jews, you guys should fast and pray. And why are they doing that? Not just for like the appropriate response like that we get our way, but she's scared she might die. Because if I come to the king when I'm not supposed to, he has all right in the world to kill me. And so there's reverence and awe as she's in that room, but there's not confidence probably, but yet we're called as we come to worship God or to come to him in prayer, even that we come to him in reverence and awe, but also with confidence. And so how do we have that ability as Christians to do all of that? I guess one of the things that comes to me, first of all, is the, the disposition first and foremost is one of fear or reverence or all, but it's because we fear and we, we, it's because we know who God is. And that's what happens immediately. Like you think about Moses, particularly with the burning bush or like at Mount Sinai, like what you've been talking about and seeing all the plagues of God, uh, his might, his power, which did put the people in a state of reverence and awe. But now if, because of my state of reverence and awe towards this God, whenever he tells me in his promises that he is now for me, and that he's done this for for me uh, by through the cross of Christ and forgiving us. Um, well, then that means I would be a. F- I really don't fear him if I don't trust him now and have that confidence. So my fear motivates my confidence. Yeah. Um, and I think that's they're not they're not antithetical. Um, one of the is it one of the Psalms that says, "With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared." Mm. Um, so those two don't go in. So actually to despair of God's grace and to, uh, distrust it is one of the most, is actually the most prideful thing you can do. Mm -hmm. It's actually not fearing God at all because you don't fear him really to believe his promises. If you really feared God, you would never doubt his promises towards us. But the fact that you do doubt them, and, and we all struggle with this, even as believers, shows there's still remaining sin in us and that we still haven't perfectly learned the fear of God. So I think those two things go, they fit like a hand into a glove, actually, um, the way the Bible, the way the Bible portrays this confidence mm-hmm. and this, this fear. Because confidence without fear is presumption, presumption, uh, but, uh, but fear without confidence is really arrogance on our part. Um, to think that that God won't keep His word to us, and mm-hmm. that He's not sincere. Well, you're not you're not really 
you don't really know the God of the Bible then. Yeah, and one of the books that I've been using some for this study, not every week, but some uh, by D.G. Hart, he, and this is where I wanted to get in the first sermon and I didn't. That's why this became a mm-hmm. two-parter. And so going kind of to the end of the message yes, uh, yesterday, which would have been this this most recent Sunday, he went to Revelation 11 in it, to talk about this because there's this balance in in worship where we have to be careful not to separate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And he went to Revelation, uh, Romans, 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 Romanations, Romanations. <laughs> just, yeah, just combine the two. Uh, he went to Romans in that section where Paul's talking about Israel. He even talks about some of his passion still mm-hmm. for his people. And he's talking to Gentile believers and he's saying kind of like, you know, don't get too cocky mm-hmm. over there. Right. Yes, there were branches cut off so that then you could be grafted in. And now you are a part of this vine with branches that we see with Jesus talking about in the Gospel of John. You definitely Mm -hmm. are here. But he's kind of warning them, like, don't think like everything is just all fine and dandy at this point, because if he got rid of these original branches, he could get rid of these other branches too. And so... When it gets down to verse 22 in in Romans 11, he says, Note then the kindness and severity Mm -hmm. of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue, Mm -hmm. right, how you should. And I think that that is really how we need to approach worship, is with that in mind, the kindness and the severity of God. And the reason I say, like, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is because too often I think people look at the God of the Old Testament and they say, severity. Look how harsh he is. Look how difficult he is. Look at all the death. Look at all this stuff that's going on. They might even look at the sacrifices and say, gosh, it's just so barbaric of what's going on and taking place there. But then in the God of the New Testament, we just don't have that. We have a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy and kindness, right? And we have to be careful uh, when we come into worship to understand how to take God for God and who he is which is the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, which um, was a podcast episode. I think that might be coming out this week, The Immutability of God, mm-hmm. when we did our mm-hmm. first series. So on, on Thursday of this week, there's a podcast coming out on the fact that God doesn't change, mm-hmm. and that's one of his um, attributes that's very important, which mm-hmm. also proves to us we have the same God in the Old Testament as right. in the New Testament. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When you're talking about we approach with reverence and awe, but also with confidence. It it made me think of uh, the woman with a discharge of blood in mm-hmm. Luke chapter 8 mm-hmm. of approaching Christ in reverence and awe and fear because she's not even willing to confront him, talk to him face to face, but just wants to touch his garment. Mm-hmm. And then when she's confronted about it, it says that she falls down to the ground and she's she's fearful mm-hmm. in that moment because she, you know, she knows what she's done. And uh, she knows she's unclean, you know, uh, ceremonially unclean and all those things, but she still did it. Mm-hmm. And Christ says that the reason that she was made well is because of her faith. And so, like, this confidence is is the, like, we come with faith. That's mm-hmm. what it means to come with faith is to come with confidence and um, and what Christ has done and what he can do. And I just think that's a good combination of the two, where this woman is coming with faith and a confidence of, I know this is what I need. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has failed me, 
but I know that this will help. Mm-hmm. But she's still fearful mm-hmm. of it. Good illustration. Good. Another illustration came to my mind when you were talking about that, Scott, is the, the centurion that comes to Jesus mm-hmm. and yes. says, I'm not worthy to have mm-hmm. you come under my roof, yeah. but you simply say the word and I know. And Jesus says, I, I've never found anybody in Israel with this kind of faith, <laughs> yeah. with a mixture of that reverence and all, but also you just say the word yeah. and I know it's going to happen for yeah. me. Yeah, those are good. And I think, you know, you did a really good job just kind of blending the two, you know, it's because there's, there's reaction on both sides. There's the, like your, your illustration about, you know, people that grew up maybe with a harsh father, you know, and so there's this reaction of like, you know, oh, I, I, I'm always kind of looking behind my back or like, oh, you know, God's going to strike me down, you know, and then you have the other extreme because of our culture and all that of this kind of like, oh, you know, I can do whatever because, you know, Jesus loves me and he's a good, good father and, you know, all that. And I think that there's the, the, the blend, the middle ground, it's like anything, the balance is, is the point, you know, it's like he is our father. Jesus said, I think it's 20 times he used that phrase, Father or Heavenly Father in the Sermon on the Mount, I think to basically help frame that, that God is a Father, and yet he's also a God that we are to be in awe of mm-hmm. and even have a reverence. You know, the, the, the Hebrew word yare for fear means to be in awe of or to have a holy kind of reverence, of, not to be scared, but to be like, wow, this is God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not to take lightly. So I think that was a really good blend of that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a group in this church years and years ago. They were a very legalistic group. <laughs> but I remember them saying in one of the sermons, you should never say awesome. You should never say anybody is awesome unless you're talking about God alone because he's the only one worthy of all. And I remember that uh, sticking with me, mm. you know, a little bit. I mean, I I think it's okay to be like, man, that guy is really awesome at soccer or whatever. I think mm-hmm. that I think that's okay. I'm not saying it's simple, but I it helped it cement a little bit in my life when they said that of like, you know, that's that is true in comparison. Nothing really compares to the awe to the awe of God. Yeah, you guys gave good examples there. I mean, I also thought of the is it like the Phoenician woman mm-hmm. uh, where she goes to him and Jesus is kind of to us rude to her right like it's not right I didn't to take come the children's for the dogs. bread to yeah. give it to yeah. the dogs i didn't yeah. come for you people and she's yeah. like but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall on the ground and he then heals mm-hmm. her daughter mm-hmm. right because of that um but yeah just again with reverence with awe but also with confidence i think about people uh who maybe grew up in church a little or whatever they have some sort of understanding and you're like hey you should come to church. And they're like, if I come to church, you know, the, the walls are going to cave in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what is that? You know, what are they saying in there? There actually is a little bit of reverence and awe, but of fear mm. because they know mm. I'm not living how I should. I'm not worthy to walk in that place. And we would look at them and think you're so wrong and you're so bad. But on the flip side, I think there's people who walk in here with no care in the world at times. Mm-hmm. They're just as bad. They come every week. It's just like, whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And, both sides are, are wrong. you got to take both together mm-hmm. and walk in with that balance of thinking, when I walk in this room, it should crumble and fall, and fall on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy of this, yeah, but I mean, because of Christ, I can. I mean, that person who says that, if you think about it, they're actually not scared enough. Okay. You know, you're not scared because... God's judgment on you is not limited to inside this building. <laughs> the building yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You sure. actually don't have a true fear mm-hmm. of God. Sure. If you did, point. you'd mm-hmm. be coming yeah. 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 and asking point. for his forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you also don't have to do in the building. I was going to say, but, well, you don't have to do it here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, I just think that's like that sounds almost pious, 
or fearful of them, but actually, it, mm, sure. It's I think false. most of the time you're right. There's yeah. not a true fear. It's just a good excuse, yeah, to get mm-hmm. the person to stop asking them to come. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so a big part of the message this week was in John chapter four, but also balanced with John chapter three. Um, if you ever want a good book on the Gospel of John, I would encourage you to get Don Carson's commentary on the Gospel of John. Uh, I, I enjoy when I get to go to that book. Uh, going through going through this uh, the gospel there, uh, but in John chapter four, which we've been referencing quite a bit throughout this series, we have Jesus uh, coming to a well. He's traveling and he's going through Samaria to travel there. Jews don't like Samaria people from Samaria. Psalm is like half breeds; they weren't very kind uh, to each other. Right? We we know that as a backdrop. He comes to this well which really shouldn't have anybody there because it's the middle of the day. People didn't go to the well in the middle of the day, but this lady's there. Jesus has a conversation with her. And it's an interest, It's a very uh, interesting conversation uh, when we start talking about it because it seems like Jesus is angling towards something, not just to get some water. You know, and he asks her, he asks her, hey, can you get me some water, get me something to drink? Uh, then he starts saying something very weird. It's like, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink, which had to be like, what, what is this guy? What is this guy talking about? You know, um, you don't even have a bucket. She says, you don't, you don't have a way in the the wells, the water's way down there. So how could you give me anything? And Jesus then makes it even more awkward and, and startling of saying the water that I could give you, you would never thirst again. You'd never thirst again. You know, and the lady's like, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than Jacob? You think you're better than these fellows? But she does respond to him and says, I'd like to have some of this water, some of this water, please. Could you give me, could you give me some of this water? Jesus then confronts her sin by saying, go get your husband. I don't have one. You're right. You've got five of them. Um, so kind of shows probably why she was at the well in the middle of the day because of public scrutiny, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people say, right, to, to mm-hmm. avoid the scrutiny. Uh, she doesn't uh, shy away necessarily from her sin. She sees she sees her sin uh, for what it is. Um, and then Jesus uh, continues there uh, because she asks a question. She's perceiving something about Jesus. Uh, you knew something about me. I've never met you before, but yet you seem to know all this about me. You must be a prophet. I got a question about worship. We worship on this mountain. The Jews worship on that mountain. What is right? And it gets to kind of what we were, we're wanting to get at in terms of worship. When Jesus says uh, in verse 23, the hour is coming, but is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and and truth. And then the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Uh, and it seems like we have a, a conversion there where the woman trusts and believes that that's who it is because she goes into town and starts to kind of say, hey, you need to come meet this man who told me everything uh, about myself. Uh, but an interesting part all of a sudden in worship comes up. Uh, in spirit and in truth. And so we have said, again, throughout this series, that worship, we need to do that in spirit and truth. So then trying to unpack, what, is that, what does that mean, to worship in spirit and truth? Again, it's, it's something most people who've been in church could say. 
Right. Oh, when we worship, worship in spirit and truth. But what in the world does that really mean? You know, what are what are we getting at? And so the the way that uh, that I talked about it um, was number one. There's only one way to worship in spirit, and we see like in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36 that you have a heart of stone that needs to be changed, but only God can change our heart of stone. Um, so it's not something that I can muster or do on my own to worship in spirit. There's, uh, you know, there's no work on my part that can get me ready. And you see that in the next chapter of Ezekiel 37, yeah. mm-hmm. where the spirit comes up on the dead bones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The dry and bones. you preach to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, uh, and so we see that there's a work that God has to do. And I, I, I wanted to balance this with John three, because like I said, Don Carson compares those really well in his book. And it's, it is an interesting comparison you have in John chapter three, you have Nicodemus who's the teacher. So he's like the man, right? He's the guy that people would go to for what does God's word say? What is this? What is the law? What do I need to know? How, do, how can I be right with God and obey God? He's the guy. And somehow there's a situation where him and Jesus meet up and have a conversation. And we see, we see Nicodemus asking Jesus some questions. And almost as awkwardly as the conversation is with the Samaritan woman is the conversation with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus wants to, wants to talk to him Um. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Right? So kind of a compliment. And what's Jesus' response? Unless you are born again. What? Where is this coming from? (laughs) Right? And Nicodemus says something that, again, seems so dumb. But I don't know what my response would have been. You're telling me i got to, like, climb back in my mom's womb and be born again? How is that even possible? Right? And we try to put ourselves in that situation. I don't know what my response would have been. I don't know if I would have said anything. I might have just looked, sat there dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Born again. You know, I wouldn't even know how to re- how to respond to that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, but again, remember you have the teacher here. And he's like, What do you what do you mean? What do you mean by this? And so Jesus starts to kind of explain that uh, to where we have what probably the most famous verse. Uh where he talks about mm-hmm. God loved the world so much that he sent his son. And he's talking about himself, right? And he's talking about what needs to happen, what's going to happen. And Jesus isn't talking about a physical rebirth. He's talking about this spiritual rebirth, that heart of stone being made flesh mm-hmm. again, right? And that can only be done by this work of the son who has to be lifted up, who has to be crucified and died. And sadly, what we see in the story of Nicodemus, though, even though maybe, uh, I don't want to say legend, what would the word be? Uh, church, uh, some say Nicodemus maybe was a Christian. Some well, later on, he's later at on. the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he's, that, there, yeah. he's there with the burial. Right, yeah. yeah. And so, but here in John 3, right. we don't have a response like we do with right. the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. The dumb Samaritan woman of no worth mm-hmm. kind of responds to Christ mm-hmm. appropriately but sadly, at the end of John chapter three, it just kind of it's just over mm. with no real. No, well, it's real. kind of open ended. Yeah, because, yeah, that's what I mean. Like an open ended thing. Because that's even part of the question mm. is: is how long does uh, 
Jesus's conversation with him continue? Because is it going all the way? You know, I think uh, yeah, because it just says in verse twenty two, like it just says after this, Jesus went and did right. This. So it's like I don't, and I could be wrong, but maybe um, or maybe it was the second te- section there in John chapter three where we're just kind of. Uh, Oh, I guess it's actually verse 36. I guess I was wrong. But yeah, you're right. In a sense, it's, it's very open-ended, the, the statement. What I think is interesting, though, in both of these instances, Jesus hits both of these people um, with his words, uh, with, you, with the convictions of sin. With Nicodemus, uh, teacher of the law, his great temptation was going to be able to trust his intellect. And Jesus hits him with something, and he says, how can these things be? And what does Jesus say? Every Jesus time? Says, Aren't you the teacher? Yeah, yeah, Shouldn't he, you yeah. know this? If I've told you, it's fascinating. If I've told you <laughs> earthly things, yeah. how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then similarly with the woman at the well, he hits her over the fact of her adultery. My wife even pointed out something that I never thought about. Um, but with the woman at the well, whenever she says, uh, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here. Mm-hmm. It's not simply, and she was pointing out maybe the fact, there's also an aspect too of her to where, I don't want to have to have this embarrassment anymore. The guilt, yeah. This embarrassment of showing up here at noon. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about that either. That um, not simply was there the, uh, yeah. Um, she wants to eliminate it. And Nicodemus is also, and I think that's where Nicodemus, I, I personally don't think Nicodemus, when Nicodemus in verse four is saying, uh, these, how can a man be born when he is old? I think what he's saying is he's using the metaphor of Jesus and he's saying, what you're saying is this is impossible. Right, yeah, yeah. And Jesus is like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You can't do it. The Spirit of God has to come and change your heart. Yeah. I have to be lifted up, and, and you you can't do this work. Right. And that's what Nicodemus is being hit with something that intellectually he's being told, you've got to be born again, but you can't do it. Yeah, you have two impossibilities. Right. Be born again, drink this water, never thirst right, again. Right, It's like, what? what? No. Right. It, but that yeah, that's the point. Right. Like this doesn't exist, right? You know, right. That, that's not even around in there. Yes. Um, but Jesus, yeah. I mean, so just, so this has to be a heavenly thing. Not this can't happen in the sphere of earth. No one on the sphere of earth can make this happen. Either giving you the water, or giving you the new birth. But God the Father has sent somebody not from earth but from heaven down to earth, mm-hmm. so that when we receive Him as many as receive him are made the children of God and are born again and do get the water. Yeah. Um, and so as we talk about worshiping in spirit, worshiping in spirit is a, is a heart, a heart for the Lord that only the Lord can make. Right. I mean, yeah, it's not a work that I can do. It's not something again, I can drum up. It's a totally new condition of existence. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just, yeah. And so for the believer, I guess, Maybe I should have talked about this, but that's why we do this. There is a way for the believer, I guess, to to come to worship in a way where we're preparing ourselves to be able to worship in spirit. I guess there could be some prep work to help us with that. Because as believers, our heart has been changed, and we live with a changed heart. And so we can come to worship knowing, I need to worship in spirit. Well, then how would we do that? Well, I think that what kind of leads to, that's why it says spirit and truth is as we approach worship with a changed heart, we need to be reminded of the truth of who God is and what he has done, that our heart has been changed by him, right? That he has loved us this much, that he sends his son into the world. And so these are things that we should 
reflect on is the truth of God as we come to worship, which will then help us to better worship in in spirit, right? Not just intellectually or I don't know, whatever other way it might be, mm-hmm. but to say, I've come with my heart of flesh that you have changed and I worship you in who you are and what mm-hmm. you have done, right? That That's... That's what I think Scripture is teaching when it says to worship in in spirit and and truth. Uh, you guys got anything else with that? No, I think it's it's first of all a condition of what you are, and then it's also now be who you are. Yeah. So there is an aspect of where we our worship should be spiritual and truthful, mm-hmm. but it's because we've already been made a people of spirit and truth. Is it possible for a Christian, a true Christian, to worship? wrong yeah yeah it's wrong for us to and and that's the the way paul would put it i think is you're not being who you are Mm -hmm. could you think of an example either of you of how could i come into work and i'm talking more about the public gathering here how could i come into worship on sunday and worship wrong even though i am a true christian where i could say yeah but i'm worshiping i mean my my heart is a flesh not of stone anymore he has saved Mm me I mean, I think one of the things that we can even point to examples in Scripture is if you have unresolved conflict with other believers in that church, I mean, your worship together is supposed to be a sign of your unity in Christ. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you're you're not worshiping correctly uh, when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just one example. Yeah, I, I think we can answer this in a lot of ways. If you come to worship without any reverence and awe, right, that's a problem in your in your worship if you're not coming joyfully or with gladness or these other things that we've said that's that's a issue and that's a problem and the fact is i don't wake up every morning glad i sometimes have to work to get to that point and what helps me get to that point should be the word of god being reminded of who i am tim don't forget just because you went to bed and woke up i'm still the same god i still have chosen you and called you and saved you Mm -hmm. by my grace in your mind oh yes yeah you know, while my friends might abandon me or my kids might be mad at me or whatever it might be, you, oh God, still love me. And so it is better to be, you know, a doorkeeper in your courts than any... Than you were being any. a doorkeeper just last night. I was, Sunday night. I was shutting the I doors during worship. I do that every Sunday night when I'm not preaching. I go and make sure the I doors are shut. I said, you're a doorkeeper. Yeah. Just serving, man. Yeah. I think one of the things that comes to my mind is... Uh, is how often in Paul's letter, particularly, I think the first, particularly um, the the epistle to the Corinthians, where he'll say things like, "Do you not know this about yourselves?" And that's what they they were worshiping wrongly because they had forgotten who they were in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, whether that be with uh, divisions within the body, or if we show up to church just to dispute with other people in the church about doctrines or things, um, if we're showing up. Uh, um, before with any number of things, you could think about the Corinthian letter, the whole, all the issues, all the various issues that are going on there, uh, pl- uh, you know, divisions within the body or sexual or other kinds of immorality. And Paul's consistently saying, do you not know who you are? And so I think that's really comforting for people, though, because that means spirit and truth is not a is not something to be. Uh, it's not a status to be attained, but it's something to be lived out of. It's a status to be lived out of. Yeah. Um, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's not telling her, now go and pursue a life of spirit and truth. He's saying, here I am. Now live a life, you know, take me and then live a life, uh, you know, worship the Father in spirit and truth because I'm here. Yeah. I'm yours. Mm-hmm. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, we are his workmanship. He has, he has made us uh, who we are. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a problem with today because uh, we're getting away from believing we are what we've been made to be, where now we can be whatever we want to be, even mm-hmm. against science, biology, all these different mm-hmm. things. Um, and maybe that's a struggle uh, for us that we don't even realize is like, I have to feel this certain way to be something. Mm-hmm. So like the obvious thing would be, man, I just don't feel like a man today. Maybe I'm not a man, right? Like that question is real <laughs> today. Right. Yes. Like that's an honest yes. question. Some people say, which would be kind of ludicrous not too long ago to True. think through. And maybe some Christians wake up and they're like, I just don't feel like a Christian mm-hmm. today. And it's like, no, you, you are his workmanship. Right. Go be that. Go right. do that. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have your struggles and your doubts. Right. But you are his. And I think that's where, one of the things, too, the dangers about whenever we talk about worshiping in spirit and truth, I think one of the dangers that whenever we talk that way, I think in our culture today, people automatically think associate that with a subjective experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. Worshiping in spirit and truth means I subjectively am a spiritual person and a truthful person. But what you're saying, Tim, is where truth is anchored is not in my subjective experience, but in an objective reality. Yeah. And so Jesus points us to himself to find who we are. And Paul consistently does that. Jesus does that. The God of the Old Testament does that. So if you want to worship in spirit and truth, don't look within your heart first and foremost. <clears throat> But as Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look you look at yourselves, take 10 looks at Jesus. And so if our preaching and our songs, one of the things I loved about our worship yesterday was every single song was cross-centered. Every single song was about grace and Christ and stuff outside of me, not stuff inside of me. Because whenever I show up and I think it's all on me to produce spirit and truth, guess what? I'm not going to worship in spirit and truth because that's not the way God designed this. God designed salvation so that Jesus would be lifted up just like Moses raised the serpent up on the pole. You put Jesus up and then my heart is changed. But if you tell me to change my heart in order then to come and worship, I can't do that. And I'm actually just going to be a really miserable, grumpy wreck more so than I typically am. I was going to say, geez. And um, I know that's really bad. Hey, Scott, don't, don't give me those eyes. Don't give me those eyes. So anyway, I just think that that's also a, an important aspect. This is this has a very strong objective component. Yeah. Well, knowing all this, right, in spirit and truth and what that means, it's about what God has done in your life, changed a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Everything is based on the truth of who he is. That's what our worship should be focused on and centered on, again, of of who he is, but also of what he has done, what is what leads to the next point, which I, I want you guys to, to talk about too, is as we approach worship, we're doing it, not as consumers, not as people who just come to consume everything or even to pick and choose what we're going to consume, which is what we have the right to do in most places in the world. Uh, but we come to also contribute as we come to to worship. And so trying to think through how do we all contribute when it comes to worship. The fact is we have a lot of people here that contribute to make sure that Sunday morning worship, the gathering happens, right? Uh, 
as pastors, we have a part in that. But, I mean, Anna, who's one of the secretaries of church, she does a lot to make sure stuff is up and ready for Sunday morning with things on the screen. We have people running sound. We have people doing the screens. We have people doing video. We have people in the nursery. We have people teaching the kids. We have security. We have a group who plays instruments up on stage and helps sing and helps lead us in singing. It really is a, a pretty large number of people contributing in that in that way uh, so that service can we can do our best to have it run smoothly and professionally and you know and well which which is important which we want to do but what about what about those who come and they don't have any of those roles how do how do they contribute what are they called to do when they come to worship are they just kind of just coming and then leaving and it's like well just kind of had a free day today or is there a task or tasks that need to be done by them as well? What do you guys think? Well, I mean, I think what you were, one of the big ways that you applied this was, what are they doing when they are sitting, listening to you preach? What's mm-hmm. their what's their contribution there? Mm-hmm. And their contribution is to listen to what you're saying. Um, another word that comes to mind is participation. How do you participate in the sermon, right? Because that doesn't seem to make sense. But you know that you participate in what Tim is up there up there doing. Well, your your role in that is to listen to what's being said, because like you pointed out in your sermon, I think Tim, that when you're preaching, what we're actually there to hear are the words of Christ in the Scriptures being taught to us. Um, and so that's that's that. I mean, but we can look at other other aspects of worship on Sunday morning that we are going to break down, we are going to talk about in this series, such as singing or prayer or reading the scriptures where, you know, there's a role of participation in all of that um, and of contribution, right? And so, um, like, I think you even said in your sermon that if, um, if, if what, like, the Dave and the band are doing up there, if it's not helping us sing, then they shouldn't be there. Yeah. Because it's not about them performing mm-hmm. it is about them helping us participate mm-hmm. and sing together as the church and so um, those are just examples of how we contribute what our role is yeah the singing part's an easy one right it's like we should yeah. sing if you're not singing you're not participating i yeah. mean you're not helping you're not contributing anything to our worship that we're supposed to be doing together uh and so then sing you know, and some of you should sing quieter than others because you're not good at it, and that's okay. But you should still, you know, you should still sing. That's that's fine. That's how you contribute. And that's going to be part of the sermon on singing, right? Who should sing? Is that yeah? Is that what yeah, I've got pictures and okay. names. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in section seven, yeah. no. but I mean, I think even even at the most basic level, how you contribute is. Um, I mean, you could you can even break down like giving, like that's part of our worship together as well. But being there is a way to contribute. Absolutely. And like, I there are some people who, if they're if they're if it's not their Sunday to serve, they don't come. Yeah, I think and that's, um, that's that's uh, that's a faulty understanding of you know serving in the nursery or serving on the on the praise team or serving on mm-hmm. whatever role. That's not the only way you contribute here. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people realize how much they minister to the person preaching just by being there. You know, just seeing 
them there week in and week out uh, is extremely encouraging and helpful, I think, to the one who's who's preaching. It's not just the one who's preaching. I mean, I hear people say, like, when we have a full Sunday, yes, never, it, it always happens. The first comment I hear was, it was good to see so many people here today. Yes. It's encouraging to everyone else, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so people think, you know, no one's going to realize I'm not there or whatever. And it's like, yes, it does. It does happen. And I might not be able to say your particular face was the one I'm missing. And if that's what someone's looking for, well, that's a bad deal because we don't, that's not how we gather. We're gathering as corporate. And so the body of Christ all together and you missing hurts that, right? That, that, well, there's something missing here uh, that, that we need, that we should have. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one that I think that people don't think about a lot is actually listening, paying attention, but not just listening and paying attention, but allowing God to work in their life through the message to actually come and to say, what I'm about to listen to isn't a TED talk. What I'm about to listen to isn't just a speech. It's a Tim talk. It's a Tim talk, I guess. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah, I guess it's me up there. Uh, we should label that now. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for the next Tim talk? Is the part of our service where you get to listen sounds, to the latest Tim talk. That sounds creepy. <laughs> sounds creepy. Tiny Tim. But there's many people who sit in our congregation who throughout the week, they have to sit and listen to presentations and listen to meetings and somebody talk. And I know how that stuff goes. I've been in that world before. And you tune most of it out. You're like, this doesn't matter to me. This isn't relevant to me. But when we come to worship together to hear the word of God, we have to come with our hearts attuned and ready to say, what I am listening to today is the word of God being taught and preached. And in fact, I am Jesus Christ is teaching me in this moment right. through his word. Not I know you guys were joking about the Tim talk. Not Tim, even though mm-hmm. Tim's the one who's been called to stand up here and preach this morning. But what the Bible says is happening is right. Christ is teaching me. Right. Yeah, for me, even mentally, uh, some, every now and then I'll just remind myself, like, Jesus is standing behind, and I guess in, a, in front of Tim. Um, and so I need to remember that. And I think it'd be helpful for all of us as, we, as we're sitting there to remember that. Is, uh, you can see Tim with your eyes, but there's someone you can't see with your eyes who's talking. Um, through the scriptures and 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 insofar as Tim's, uh, you know, applying the scriptures faithfully, and or as any of us are doing that faithfully, um, that's Jesus talking. How would you do it? I mean, think think about the people that were at the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus calls them up to himself. What did the disciples do? Were they just staring around at the other disciples? Well, I'm sure sometimes they slipped off doing that, but mm-hmm. also they were paying attention to every word that he spoke. And whenever you come to a sermon, there should be a sense of the. Um, of uh, that feeling, not because it's Tim or Scott or Spencer or any pastor, but we should say, no man talks this way. Like, remember when they, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, they were, they were shocked at his authority, mm-hmm. for he didn't talk like the Pharisees. And whenever you show up to hear a sermon, it shouldn't sound like the board meeting or the presentation at work. This is different. It's authoritative. It comes from Jesus himself. And uh, it reminds you, too, of, of James, where we're told, put away these uh, filthiness, rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word. God is taking the word and implanting it in your in your heart. And then in like even the, the parable of the sower, geez, what's the difference between the good, the good soil and all the other bad soils? Well, the good soil hears the word and understands it. 
We should be laboring as we're sitting there in the pews to hear the word um, because faith comes from hearing. And the only way you're ever going to bear fruit in your Christian life is by hearing first and foremost, and then trying to understand the word, putting two and two together. And that takes work. That takes a, uh, that takes a reception. That's the job of the preacher to help you understand it, mm-hmm. to hopefully help make it understandable and so that you can hear it clearly. But it also takes the soil's part to receive the word and to put it together um, so that then we can bear fruit in our lives. But it won't happen until we first receive it with faith. Yeah. So one of the passages I went to was with Mary and Martha. Mm-hmm. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha being busy and working. But then Jesus saying, Mary chose the better thing here. And what's not happening in that passage is Jesus isn't like renouncing work. (laughs) He's not announcing making dinner or getting the house ready for guests or whatever. The point is just there is a time and place for things. And at that moment, at that time, the best thing to do would have been to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. And that was what Martha's error was. Mm -hmm. She wasn't willing to do that at that moment. right? And she was even getting frustrated with her sister. Uh, and so we kind of have that too, right? God has established for us as a church to gather together, to sing together, to give, and to hear the reading and preaching of his word. And so the appropriate thing to do during that time isn't to be a busybody, isn't to go find other work. It's to sit and to listen, right? And to respond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the singing, to sing, Right. Or whatever, time to giving, to give. There's these appropriate times for this for this stuff. And I think that's the point that's trying to be made there in that passage. Mm-hmm. And and so for us, at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings we have Sunday school. The appropriate thing to do is to be a part of Sunday school. To sit and to listen and to that is much more participatory than Sunday morning mm-hmm. uh, worship at ten thirty. Mm-hmm. Questions are asked. And you can give answers, or I, sometimes people ask questions like, "Oh, this is confusing." Okay, this is the appropriate time for that, mm-hmm. right? Let's let's do that, and then we gather together at ten thirty and we we sing together. We hear public reading of scripture. We hear public prayers taking place. We hear the word of God preached. And we give a time even of response, mm. right? Respond to God's word. Maybe you need to confess sin or, or, you know, maybe you need to bow and give thanksgiving to God and praise. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you need to trust in him with salvation, mm. whatever, right? This is the appropriate time to do that. Not the only time, mm-hmm. but this is the appropriate time, right, to do that. Uh, and I think that passage just kind of brings that out a little bit, that there's appropriate times for things. And this is the time to say, I know for me, and I, I say that to somebody like me, who I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at sitting and listening. I know you made a joke about you being the doorkeeper. It's part of my problem. <laughs> I want to get up and do something. So let's let's go shut the doors. Let's go do this. Let's make sure everything's tidy. And I know that there's other, I, I, I'll speak to the men. There's other men in our church who are the same way. For them to sit in a service on Sunday is odd because they would rather be doing security or they would rather be doing the ushering mm-hmm. or going and fixing something because that's just their general makeup. They like to be active and busy. But now's not the time for that. Mm-hmm. Now's the time for you to sit and to listen and to take in the word of God and let God speak to you during this time. And I have to force myself to do that quite a bit. Uh, and we just we just need to be be faithful to that. And that's how we play a part, you know, in in that time of the message. Anything else? I like how you said when you like 
maybe how, like you said, how you grew up, perhaps how here, like Martha seems like, or Mary seems like, oh, come on, do something. <laughs> you know, you're, you're being lazy, you know? Yeah. Mary's the younger child. Yeah. Yeah. For right, sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good call. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. You're probably right. Yeah. Um, and how Jesus didn't like necessarily, necessarily scold her, but just said, you know, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but Mary's chosen the best thing. This is the time right now to listen, to receive. And I think that, that again, going back to the balance of reverence and, you know, fellowship or connection to God. Same with, you know, when it comes to like sitting still, be still, know that I'm God and also doing work. You know. Yeah, and I could flip that around very easy. Mm-hmm. There's definitely people that I've run into, and it's like, okay, we got this event going on. Well, Pastor Tim, I'm just going to be in this room praying while you do all of this. No, I need you to come out here and work, right? You're just trying to be like overly spiritual. We should have been praying leading up to this, and that's okay. And now I just think you don't want to do this. Now is the time to vacuum. Now is the time to get these bags ready that we're about to hand out to all these people, right? So it can go both ways and there's definitely mm-hmm. that there's and for us in worship the time is now to sit and to listen mm-hmm. right and to be fed by the by the word of god yeah we got some cleaning to do but i gotta go pray in my office while you guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right exactly yeah the holy the holy one the holy ones yeah <laughs> all right well this coming week we're gonna look at public worship and uh what does the bible say should be contained within public worship what are some of the things that we do? And then over the next few weeks, we will be dissecting those things and looking at them. So this coming week is kind of like an intro uh, to that. So things like like we've been talking about, preaching, singing, giving, fellowshipping together, uh, Lord's Supper, and baptism, uh, things of this that, that we should dissect and say, we know that these are to be a part of our worship. And so why? And why are they important? And how do we protect these things? Uh, so that's where we'll be going for the for the next few weeks in the series. So hopefully you can be thinking about that uh, and looking at that. And hopefully you'll be here next Sunday, uh, Lord willing. Do you have something, Spencer? No, I was just getting ready to push Oh, you had a finger up like, yeah, I have a that thought. That was definitely raising your hand. Yeah, it was, I have a thought. <laughs> yes. No, no, he was no, about no. to conduct us in our singing. He was going to do the L. <laughs> oh, We're not going to have that conversation <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> <Move your laughs> <bellies. laughs> All right, well. Like I said, hopefully we see you uh, this coming Sunday. Until then, we hope that you have a blessed week. God bless.